Healthcare simulations can be said to have four main purposes, education, assessment, research, and helping a health system do what's best for patient safety. When I speak to other simulationists across the country, I like to challenge them and suggest that we're actually in the business of behavior change because that's what we do with uh, these, this experiential learning. We're really, truly in the business of continuous improvement. That's Dr. Lisa Barker, Medical Director of Simulation at the Jump Simulation and Education Center. And I'm Shelley Dankoff, your host of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. On today's episode of Health Accelerated, the importance of simulation in healthcare for everyone involved. As background, founded in 2012, Jump Simulation is a leader in healthcare education, simulation, and innovation. It's a collaboration between OSF Healthcare and the University of Illinois College of Medicine in Peoria. Jump applies simulation, research, discovery, collaboration, and applied science to dramatically improve outcomes and lower the costs in the healthcare space. As part of OSF Innovation, Jump shares its years of expertise with institutions around the world to transform healthcare. Its home is the Jump Trading Simulation and Education Center in Peoria, Illinois, one of the largest simulation and innovation centers in the entire world. Joining me to talk about this very interesting topic are Dr. Lisa Barker, Medical Director of Simulation, and Dr. Ann Williamson Dunlap, Director of Educational Development at Jump Simulation. Thank you to you both being with us. This is an exciting, fun topic. To start, I want people to know more about each of you and what drew you to Jump Simulation. So Dr. Barker, I will start with you. So I get to say this because we're with OSF, but I feel like it was a bit of divine grace that got me into simulation. So I came here from the University of Chicago almost 18 years ago, knew I wanted to do academic medicine and teach. And the university had just gotten a grant and had a high fidelity mannequin that was available to you know start using. It was a new technology. And so I decided that would be my niche, something different and unique. And that was 18 years ago. And so here you are. And so here I am. Okay, Anne. I'll echo Dr. Barker's sentiment about divine grace. I am a nurse anesthetist, and I was in charge of a uh, simulation lab at University of Iowa. Uh, I came here 10 years ago, arrived a month before the doors opened, and I was drawn by the mission and by the um, urgency that OSF was approaching clinician education and development. It was the place to be. When people ask you, what is it that you do, what do you tell them? That is one of the hardest questions. I tell people it depends on the day. We focus on um, development of world-class educational experiences, delivering them, and also weaving those into innovative health care and delivery of such. And for me, it depends on who I'm talking to. So when I speak to other simulationists across the country, I like to challenge them and suggest that we're actually in the business of behavior change because that's what we do with um, these, this experiential learning. We're really, truly in the business of continuous improvement because simulation isn't just about education. It can be about systems testing. Uh, it can be about process testing and risk identification, patient safety. So there's so much more to it than that. So depends on 
Yeah, it depends on if they're stuck with me on a plane, right? Yeah, <laughs> then I could talk longer. Yeah, because I'm sure there are some people who are listening who sit there and think, oh, simulation, like the game operation. Here I have it laid out in front of me, and okay, I'm going to practice doing an appendectomy. It is so much more than that, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Tell me about that. Where to begin? I mean, I think we all start in the education space. Uh, and simulation offers an opportunity, what we call deliberate practice, where you can do the same thing over and over until you get to a level of competency or mastery. And so that's, I think that's pretty well understood. Everyone thinks of the mannequin and, and CPR. Uh, but when we think about, again, sort of trying to transform healthcare systems, it's not just the people, right? It's about the environment, it's about the processes that are in place, it's about the resources that are available, and simulation allows us to get at all of those, all of those pieces in as real a way as we can. As you look at it, why is simulation in healthcare so important, no matter what piece of that you are touching? For me, it's a path to reliability in healthcare. We want to improve patient outcomes. Of course, we need to improve clinician competency and performance. But all of that leads to a patient being able to uh, enter an OSF facility or any other where simulation is involved and be confident that they'll receive the same care at 2 in the afternoon as they might at 2 a.m., if we can achieve that, uh, I think we have done something very important. I love that, Anne, right? The reliability piece, mm -hmm. that consistency. Because I was going to say quality and safety, right? I mean, that's, that's why it's so important. But the reliability is key. So simulation is used not only to educate clinicians, but address larger challenges faced in healthcare, correct? Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges from where the two of you sit? I think healthcare across the country and probably the world, it's we the challenge is doing more with less, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I think we're all experiencing that, especially since the the pandemic. And I think for us as simulationists, I think the sometimes the greatest challenge is breaking out of that education box and realizing that we can engage more directly upfront because we don't have time and resources to waste solving the wrong problem. We have to try and get at the root cause more quickly so that we're, you know, assigning resources appropriately. Absolutely. And that falls squarely, I think, into OSF's um, focus on innovation. We do have to solve the correct problem, and we need to um, not only identify it, but then find new ways to address it. And that's part of what's so exciting about working here at JUMP, because we have the environment where that is encouraged. Yeah, and sometimes OSF Healthcare, there's this, we're a 15-hospital ministry. Half of those are in rural areas, and the rural population, they don't have access to things you find in the urban area. It, it's tough to get healthcare and to get people to go provide care in those communities. Is that a, a good portion of the focus is try to find, when you say do more with less and the fewer assets, is that one of the things we're striving to do? Yes, and you see that in the expansion of the definition of simulation. I think mm -hmm. most people think of Rosessiani, right, mm -hmm. the Lerdahl sim, right, mannequin is the first thing, but it now includes virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, so those digital technologies. 
And that's what allows scalability and reach. And so, you know, and how do we match those modalities, again, to the right problem, right? The right tool for the job, mm -hmm. as far as that goes. Well, yeah. and the insight to, Mm -hmm. uh, tell me a little bit about that. That's where we're taking the training to them. They don't have to come. This is a wonderful facility and a great building. Everybody can't get here. So let's talk about the taking the training to the clinicians, to the providers, to whomever mm -hmm. needs it. How does that work and the benefit of it? Absolutely. I think in-situ simulation is something that both Dr. Barker and I are particularly passionate about because it does take the education to the learners, which opens the opportunity for many more. The other great thing about in-situ sim is that it provides an opportunity to do systems challenges and to identify environments that aren't actually supporting the people who are trying to work and pre provide care in them. If we can see where hospital staff are developing workarounds to manage a system that's not supporting them, we can help them address it. We can help create an environment where they're truly supported and uh, go forward to provide that highly uh, reliable care. I was just going to say there, you know, when you talk about sort of resourcing and, and scale, there's a bit of a, of a myth that it has to be 100% real or 99 or right or 98 and that the fidelity or realism is critical to the success. And the reality in the literature will show you that it's really you need just enough. Right, and so we worked on a project a few years ago, manuscript, just mm -hmm. right, just submitted, um, working with the Illinois Hospital Association to work to help hospitals across the state address hospital-acquired conditions, things that we want to prevent harm mm -hmm. to patients, whether they had simulation assets or expertise at all. So designing low-cost, easily implementable tool sets. And the people who went and used simulation for needs assessment found some interesting, unexpected findings in terms of root cause and sort of where the staff, you know, sort of where the staff landed in terms of the metrics they were trying to improve and the healthcare, healthcare problems they were trying to fix. So it helped them re-engage. So as I listen to you talk about that, that brings up another part, the listening and hearing. Uh, again, everybody thinks of, here's Recessa Annie, here's whatever. Sometimes it's about communication, isn't it, mm -hmm. that you're working to address because I can hear what you're saying, but I may not hear it the same way I, that she's hearing it. So mm -hmm. let's talk about the communication component of this and how that plays a role in simulation and the importance of addressing communication gaps. So there's two parts to that. There's, uh, in the structure of simulation, there's the debriefing that allows you to unpack where people are, what we call frames. And there's also the training to communication skills. And then actually, I'll think Amy should share some of the great work you did around team synchrony. You're 100% spot on. People do need to communicate. And um, there are a couple of pieces to this. One, they need to know how, and they need to be able to engage in deliberate practice of that, just like um, they might engage in deliberate practice of a psychomotor skill. Um, one of the pieces to simulation and debriefing is making sure that as we share our frames, that can be done in a psychologically safe manner. And so we do an enormous amount of work in preparing simulation facilitators to do that. We give them 
toolkits to use. We allow deliberate practice during our courses of um, use of these skills that can create a psychologically safe environment for that debriefing because that's where the learning really happens. The other piece is that we need a, um, a better understanding from the neurological perspective of how teamwork actually happens. And we've had the opportunity to explore that here by putting clinicians in EEG headsets, putting them into an interprofessional simulation in their areas of expertise. We collect EEG data and then um, clean it run it through an AI algorithm, and we can uh, identify now areas of what we typically call uncertainty, which is where people aren't in sync, they're not in communication. That can happen for one of a couple of reasons. Either they're not communicating closely with each other, or there's some sort of communication barrier of the type you usually think of simulation addressing, or they are so focused on what's going on in front of them, particularly among novice clinicians, that they can't pull back and see the broader picture. So we've defined that, and it has helped us tailor some of our simulations to different learner groups because, uh, as you would expect, they have different needs. But now we understand more about the neuroscience behind it. It's such a great example of how it's not just a simple skill, right? There's mm -hmm. context right. around it, and simulation can allow you to uncover that and train to it. I have to believe that was one of those aha moments because, I mean, physicians can be strong, and they, they, they've trained, they know, they've learned, and they can't get over that hump. And then when you show them data, because they also like to see the data, and they like to see it down, and then it's like, oh, wait. I am doing that. What are those aha moments like when they see it and come to the realization that, like you said, there's a neurological reason behind what is happening? That has to be fascinating to watch. To date, we've done most of the um, analysis post hoc. So only um, in the last few years have we started to do that in the moment, but nonetheless, with a psychologically safe debriefing environment, we can, as facilitators, can make note of those moments and still bring them to the fore during debriefing um, with or without the neurodynamic data that we use to explore this. And so we still do get to see those aha moments. And sometimes you see a gradual dawning of what was happening. Other times it really is a light bulb moment and you can see the faces and the eyes light up. Yeah, where people don't realize sort of the hidden expectations are based on a prior experience. You know, we talk about how experiences lead to beliefs, right? Actions sure. and, and results. Not realizing that this experience they had maybe as a resident or with a partner, you know, clinical partner, that that unpsychologically safe event subconsciously then has modified their behavior. And when you can unpack that, it allows them to rewind and rewire because it brings it up to the surface. And those are really powerful moments. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Simulation is also about failure. For um, sure. Whether people like to admit it innovation, or not. Innovation, right? Yeah, yes. it's yeah. innovation. Right. That, that's what it's about. Everything isn't going to go perfect right mm -hmm. out the box. That's mm -hmm. the idea is break it and then fix it or mm -hmm. figure out how best to fix it. Why is that important as part of the simulation work 
when it comes to healthcare? Why is that addressing the, it's going to be about failure? How does that play a role in the work that you do? Accepting, right, and, and acknowledging that failure will occur is critical to growth. It's like that, that growth mindset, right? If we avoid it and pretend it doesn't, didn't happen, we can't learn from it. So I think that's true. It's, it's, we're able to reproduce it in simulation or trigger it in simulation, but it's true in healthcare in general um, mm-hmm. and innovation especially. So what is the most, as I sit here and listen to you, I, I, I love watching your faces and hearing your voices. You can get, I would bet if we just launched a topic, I could let you go for a half hour easily, no problem, because it's, it's an exciting realm to work in. But I'm going to ask each of you directly, what is the most exciting part about what you do on a day-in and day-out basis to you? Anne, I'll start with you. I'm going to uh, claim a two-part answer here. One is developing materials for people to learn on. Um, Dr. Barker is exactly right. We do have to break out of the educator mode and step into the innovator role and the explorer role. But developing those educational materials that people need to learn and enabling others to do it is one part of my answer. The other part really is um, the environment that JUMP fosters with respect to innovation um, and the amazing opportunities that it's afforded both of us, I think, to explore things that we are interested in and passionate about and feel that uh, we really can make a step forward with respect to providing that reliability. And for me, I think the... Curiosity is something we talk about as a a key attribute for maintaining psychological safety, right? That sort of open stance. And I think that's why simulation resonates with me. And I think the most exciting thing for me, again, it goes back to the, what's the real problem we're trying to solve? And did we figure it out? Like I said, with those, with those aha moments. And that takes a lot of different forms, Mm -hmm. but thinking, right? Thinking about that, because then the next exciting thing is to innovate figure out how to mm-hmm. how to solve it and then that's you know and that's really exciting with all the technologies that are and I don't mean just technologies but sort of advancements and there's still very human component the human part doesn't go doesn't go right. away um, it just actually gets more time if we leverage the technologies right to make it more mm-hmm. meaningful so both of those two together mm-hmm. both of you talking about the um, you know the other mission partners who bring to you a problem when you're doing in situ it leads into the trailblazer challenge, doesn't it? So there's some work where we encourage mission partners. They've identified, okay, X, Y, and Z is not working. We need to figure out a way to make it work. Talk a little bit about those and the excitement that comes in from people outside of the world you work in every day who are out in the facilities, out in the hospitals, and they bring in a challenge. Walk me through that process and what that means to you on a daily basis. I have an example from sort of bedside nursing. So one of the educational concerns is about recognizing pressure pressure sores, right, and, and sort of avoiding further harm to patients, which is when, you know, patients are, their skin breakdown from being right. in one position for too long. And they wanted to improve recognition. So came in, it was a request. Our SIM specialist team created moulage and, you know, ways to look at different stages of the wound and it was really effective. And they're like, this is great. Now we want to take this across the entire system for 15 hospitals. So now, right, we have, we have a resource challenge. And that came from, came from the front line. But now, again, because of the intersections we have at Jump, 
there was a new camera technology called LiDAR that can actually get some depth to it. And can we, you know, actually now create a digital version where they can feel it and does it blanch? And then now that becomes scalable. So it starts from an initial great idea. And then because of the jump ecosystem, an innovation ecosystem, and then we can branch out and now explore ways to, you know, to scale and have greater impact. So let's look into the crystal ball. We've just marked 10 years of jump education, just mm -hmm. celebrated that earlier this year. Let's look to the next decade or beyond. What does the future hold for simulation in healthcare and where do you see it going and what are the possibilities? think the possibilities are endless. As we look to the future, of course, we'll look to the evolving technologies that are out um, in the world today and work to uh, determine the most rational way to bring those into the educational experiences that we offer. Um, I think that JUMP will also be uh, in a leadership position to look at how those technologies can be used in an innovative manner, not just to train people, but to solve those bedside problems, those real-world problems that our clinicians and other frontline personnel bring to us. And um, I, I hope and I anticipate that those frontline problems will always be the driver that guides what we do here. You mentioned our greatest challenge is doing more with less, right? So we've actually have pioneered this concept of value-based simulation. You know, we think of value-based healthcare and how does simulation drive that, the value it contributes to healthcare systems. So I'm taking it out of academics. And so where are we going forward? So you see here at Jump, we use simulation for leadership training, right, for crucial conversations. We're doing, again, sort of systems training and then um, the in situ and course clinical education as well. So the future is getting further in front of those frontline challenges to be early on in, in testing the solutions, ideating, identifying the gaps, and figuring out then where we can best support. It's not the answer to everything as much as we love it. Right. Clearly, right? We know that it's not, but is it how do we use it the most impactfully and for greater discernment in that? Okay, the last question I will throw out to both of you because it, bottom line, everything we do here and beyond is about patients or p potential patients who will come to us for care. Why should they care about all of this work that you are doing? because they should want to be in a healthcare system that's committed to their safety, right? Absolutely. And committed to the quality of care that they get. And I don't, I'm gonna just say it, I don't think you can have healthcare and not engage simulation and have and sleep at night, okay? Mm -hmm. Because you don't wanna be the patient that I'm the, we're the first time I've actually done this procedure when now we have so much simulation that's available for that. I have nothing to add to that. It was a <laughs> fabulous answer. And with that, Dr. Ann Williamson Dunlap and Dr. Lisa Barker, thank you both for joining us today. It's our pleasure. Shelley, thank thanks. you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also find links to any of our episodes at osfinnovation.org slash healthaccelerated.